So this is an MACP podcast and my name's Dan Nichols. Delighted today to be joined on the mic with Amanda Hensman-Crook and Neil Langridge, um, both consultant physiotherapists. Today we're going to be talking about advanced clinical practice. Thank you both for coming on the mic today. It's a pleasure. Thanks for having us. More than welcome. Thank you. If, if we could kick off um, before we talk about uh, advanced clinical practice, um, can you guys just introduce yourselves to the listeners for us. Okay, so I'm Amanda Hensman-Crook. Um, as Dan said, I'm a consultant physiotherapist and I am currently working as Health Education England's Allied Health Professions National Clinical Fellow. And my role in Health Education England is to develop the training pathways um, to advance in practice for MSK and the multi-professions, particularly in primary care. My name is Neil Langridge and I, yes, I'm a consultant physio for the New Forest. Um, I am an MACP uh, member and I sit on the uh, executive as a co-opted um, education lead. Um, and I've been working um, uh, subcontracted on a number of different projects for Health Education England over the last five years regarding primary care um, elements of, uh, um, of education and governance and um, and this project, I'm supporting uh, Amanda in uh, developing the uh, roadmap around education towards first contact practice and also linking with uh, the MSK partnership, which we'll talk uh, through a little bit later, um, and linking the MACP um, in and around the portfolio route uh, to MACP membership and uh, potentially into advanced practice. Brilliant, thanks both. And if we get time, we can we can link in with that that affiliate membership and, and where this sits in in the framework of advanced clinical practice. Sure. If we can if we can kick things off, uh, Amanda, can you can you talk us through what advanced clinical practice is and why now? Yeah, for sure. So advanced clinical practice is the way that we all understand what we're talking about currently. But just to um, put a a spanner in the works. We've changed it to advanced practice or advancing practice so that we're aligning with the four nations. So when we talk about advanced practice, we are talking about advanced clinical practice. So advanced clinical practice is um, the development around four pillars, which are the clinical pillar, education pillar, leadership and research. So when you are traveling through the pathway, collecting your portfolio of evidence right from qualification through to reaching um, the goal of becoming an advanced practitioner, when you're an advanced practitioner, what that means is that you work into level seven across all four pillars. And level seven means at master's level. Yeah. And, um, and with that, why, why the development of this now? How, why, is it, why is this snowballing? Because it's moving at a fast pace at the moment. Why has it been um, the, the progress sort of being sort of delved into at the moment and having a team like yourself and Neil involved in driving that forward? Okay, so as you know, um, over the last few years has there been the development of first contact practitioners in primary care. So it's a new role in primary care and, and it's about making sure that we've got a standardisation of care and at the right level of practice in primary care, which fits around governance. And it's also to make sure that we've got relevant um, credentialed supervi supervision for people in first contact practice to provide the whole infrastructure 
underneath the development of these advanced practice roles. So even though we know first contact practitioners work to level seven clinically, um, they're not actually advanced practitioners in terms of um, being signed off across all four pillars. So what we wanted to do was develop a training pathway to become a first contact practitioner to, to get that clinical skill set sign off plus the primary care capability competencies that are required to work within primary care because it's quite a unique setting but we also wanted to to deliver it so that once you've got that sign off all four um, domains from the pillars can be pulled through to the advanced practice portfolio route to continue through to being signed off to level seven across all four pillars it just makes it a really good opportunity um, for physiotherapists to have an actual career pathway in primary care, but it also safeguards primary care, yeah, meaning yeah. that we get the right clinicians into primary care at the right level of capability. Yeah, so it keeps that that standard, a recognised standard. We're all on the same page, what we're working towards. Um, uh, can, you, can you link us in and flow in nicely, if you could... Um, take listeners through the work that you've been developing on the, on the frame, the ACP framework and, and the work you've done at that national level. Yeah, sure. So we, we need to sort of go back a step, really. So to, to make sure that we were able to uh, credentialise and standardise a framework for people to go through, we needed to, first of all, get an agreement across MSK to a standard practice so you've got you you've got your um, capabilities and you've got your competencies but you've also got standards of practice which are which are which for the MACP from the MACP perspective you've got the IFOM standards the international standards of physiotherapy practice so the first thing we needed to do is to get together an MSK partnership group which covered not just MACP, not just outpatient physiotherapists, but pain specialists, rheumatologists, all of the specialists, trauma orthopaedic, all together into one room. Plus, we've also pulled in osteopaths and podiatrists into the mix as well um, to agree on one common standard, which is now the IFOM standard across the board. Once, we could, once we'd agreed the standard, that meant that we could then start to develop the pathways that... Um, and the roadmap that Neil will talk about in a bit, it's, um, it was really important to get that standard because a piece of research was done um, by Tim Nobler, Ali Rushton, Nicola Hennigan and uh, Jackie Hindle, which cross-referenced the MSK core capability framework that you'll all be familiar with in terms of FCP, plus the multi-professional advanced clinical practice framework. To see, and, and they found that by by looking at those and cross-referencing them, they all sit within the IFOM standards. So the IFOM standard is a really useful central pillar to know that everything that we're doing in terms of the building a pathway sits within the IFOM standards so that so that we know that all of the capabilities, the core capabilities and the core competencies are able to be signed off against it. And before we come on to uh, discuss with Neil about that, that roadmap, can we stick with that? How's that being received? And those IFOM standards might be familiar to a lot of our, our listeners as we've got quite a physio base, but how's that um, being um, reflected on by the rheumatology, uh, the, the podiatry um, network and all the other networks that you're combining and linking up with at the moment? 
So I was quite nervous about it, obviously, when we got everybody in the same room, all the physios in the same room to discuss this. Um, but actually, it's been completely welcome with open arms. And when we put it to the vote at the end, we got absolutely 100% of the room agreeing to, to do the framework, uh, to use the IFOM standards as their standard. Excellent. Excellent. So we're all on the same page going forward. Isn't it? And, and if I could bring Neil, um, if we could talk, a man touched on there, the, the, um, the roadmap um, currently laid out that um, you've been heavily involved with. Could you, could you take listeners through your work with that? Yeah. So what we essentially set out to do was to pull together a, a framework to help navigate uh, a newly qualified clinician um, to develop their skills um, towards um, the opportunities of advanced practice, um, first contact practice, and onwards up to consultant level practice. Um, and, and I reflected on, uh, on my career and, and, and a number of people that I've spoken to, and it, it was quite difficult to navigate through that, those um, areas because there wasn't really a clear guidance at all. Um, and so on the basis of so much change happening around advancing practice and first contacts, it seemed a really good opportunity whilst frameworks are being developed and published to, to help um, individuals work through these, because again, it's quite complicated and complex unless you're in it the whole time. So this is effectively a navigation tool, uh, a resource tool that will help um, individuals and support individuals building their portfolio evidence, their clinical evidence, and of course, across the other pillars um, and ensuring that they get more for each piece of evidence. So what I mean by that is, as they build their evidence up, they're able to utilize it um, against the um, advanced practice framework as well as a first contact framework. So a piece of work that uh, we're working on at the moment will be to operationalize the MSK core capabilities framework um, in language that, uh, that allows you to build an evidence base against it, but also cross-references against the core capabilities framework for first contact practitioners, as well as the um, international standards um, IFOMS, which will allow you to work towards an MSK advancing practice portfolio. So that was the first piece of work that we really wanted to ensure that it was very clear what an individual could do. We wanted to make sure that within the roadmap, there are methods and mechanisms to develop um, supervi how supervision support um, integrates with your frameworks, um, how mentorship happens, how an evidence uh, base is signed off, what level seven actually looks like, how you engage in that, and how you can um, use utilize the tools that will be available um, to um, develop um, a broad base of evidence uh, to ensure that you're using all your clinical experiences to the best and to the most and with the greatest amount of depth to allow you to um, build that evidence base from your career um, starting point. So in essence, if a, a band five starts out and it has an interest um, uh, in MSK, but is developing across um, different areas of practice, they can start to pull together and their CPD against um, the roadmap and therefore the four pillars, but also against um, first contact practice, if that's something they want to go and work towards. So as they, they start to build these um, elements up, they may wish to engage on a more uh, formalized process of first contact. And taking that process on, they will have an evidence base already to um, present as part of their evidence sign off.
And whilst they're doing that, they would be encouraged to also consider getting themselves on an advanced practice pathway. And once again, they'll be able to cross-reference much of their experiences prior to that um, admission uh, to engage them in that um, advanced practice uh, process to ensure that they're not losing out every time they do complete some CPD, that it's user-friendly and it builds into a, an obvious career pathway. So each of those CPD elements will, yeah, will naturally um, correspond with, with, with a part of their development and lead them through that pathway. And that, that would be from, from band five, so a junior physiotherapist through to, to uh, a consultant uh, from, through two five all the way up to eight and, and the consultant at different stages. Is that, that what you propose? Absolutely. There is no reason why a band five with... Um, a previous experience of X, Y, and Z, or has rapidly built um, an, an evidence base around one of the pillars, couldn't move that into a level seven piece of experience. Um, equally, another um, element of their, their, their pillars, that might take a number of years. So it's ensuring that you're continually monitoring where you are on that pathway if advancing practice is, is what you're looking to work towards as a clinician. And, you know, ultimately, the advanced uh, practice pathway and the evidence that you, you have for that, that you've built over a number of years, will ultimately, if it's, if, again, if it's your aim, um, support your application and your processes towards developing a consultant level portfolio, which is level eight, which is a doctoral level um, across the four, potentially five pillars. This is yet to be determined and published, um, but we hope that um, we, we envisage that this seeing um, as part of the pathway and a clear development tool from uh, the, as you say, the starting point of being a band five right through uh, first contact, advancing practice and into consultant level um, practice as well. And if, if we can um, in a second come back to how the, the um, impact this is going to have on the current, uh, current uh, advanced practitioners and band sevens and eights but at the moment if we take it down to the band fives that gives a nice structure and a clear plan going forwards where someone can sort of project where where they want their their career to progress onto where, where do you think is a good uh, stage to start building that in is it band five or should we be bringing that forwards even into an undergraduate level and preparing them for the band five as a junior role and, and embarking on that so uh, I think certainly undergraduate programs building some of their objectives. So you c many of the students now are coming out with portfolios and it just requires that depth to say, look, that piece of evidence links to X, Y or Z and actually maps to these pillars. It could be one, two, three or all four of them. So utilize that, assess it. And that might be at level, you know, at that point, level five or level six. But actually, as you build your experience and build your knowledge, keep adding to that and that will develop it up to a level seven. So I would encourage certainly that undergraduate programs start to link their course objectives, their, their, their modular objectives against those four pillars. Secondly, um, CPD, particularly you know, in, in any organization, you want to make sure that you, you get the most from that CPD. So I would encourage to look for a CPD that may possibly, and it would certainly make sense, that CPD providers build course 
and module um, and uh, teaching objectives, again, that map to the four pillars if um, they are developing those courses against advanced practice. So it is clear when you sign up for a course what those course objectives are, but most importantly, which of those objectives actually would map to the four pillars. This would help when you develop a training uh, schedule within an organization, an NHS organization, and you're justifying use of monies, and you'd say, well, actually, I, can, I want to go on this course not because it's the up-to-date in-course to do and everybody else is doing it. This actually feeds my CPD requirements for this particular pillar, which I'm low on this year. So my two other pillars I've, I've established quite good levels at, but this pillar is lacking. Therefore, I'm requesting this amount of money to go on this course because this course um, maps against the uh, pillar that uh, has objectives that clearly um, link the pillar to the learning objectives for me. So when I complete that, I will be able to map that against my CPD portfolio. It seems, it's, yeah, it seems a seamless way of doing it. We introduced it undergraduate way. We're positive here that that's that's happening um, already, and 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 how that would then um, pave the way. The other, the other thing that strikes me from what you're saying there is. Is, is having that structure avoids maybe mistakes of, uh, of uh, past clinicians where we are attracted our CPD based upon our own biases. We're interested in a particular area, we do more CPD to, to strengthen that area rather than um, broadening it and maybe taking us out of our comfort zone and ex exploring the areas that we're not as confident in, um, which makes it a more rounded clinician but is a braver way of doing it, that it's easier to avoid that. Absolutely. And, and the key to that, Dan, is going to be effective uh, supervision and mentorship. It is the sometimes you can't see what you can't see. And so you, you need someone to, to highlight. Now, we'll have a tool that will help that. The roadmap will help. Um, there'll be some uh, self-assessment tools where you could uh, judge where you are on this process. But, you know, the key to, to building this is going to be building in, and as we're learning at the moment, that virtual and remote mentorship is going to be very much a key element of how clinicians are supported going forward. And therefore, you can reach out across the world to have that support. But you need a framework to have those conversations around. Or like you say, it becomes too biased. It becomes naturally influenced rather than externally and critically supported. So on that note, if I was to reflect on, on myself, the the mentorship and in my master's degree was probably the most rewarding part of, of, of my career so far. And and having those placements and, and the conversations and the clinical discussions around that um, have, have, been, have mapped the rest of my career, I feel. So... I'm really, I'm really positive that this seems very much, you know, a supported mentorship-driven process. How, how are we going to support? So, how are we supporting the, the, the process? What, what, what uh, opportunities are there out there that someone's not in, uh, sort of left in, in, a, in a more remote location where they're not having that support and mentorship? Where, where, do, where are they exploring the, the support from? Amanda, do you want to answer that from a supervision yes. in primary care perspective? We we'll start there. Yes, we, we have a, a, a national supervision, central supervision group that's uh, for NHS England, NHS England Improvement and Health Education England, where we are looking particularly for primary care, where the support comes from. There's 
Um, we, we're going to be giving support from the primary care training hubs. It's really important that the quality of supervision is right for advanced practice. And also, it's really important to have a supervision structure to ensure that we've got the right quality of supervisors coming through the system to be able to support people through that pathway. So there's three things, really. So you've got advanced practice forums around the country that we're continuing to develop that has a, an advanced practitioner leading or a consultant leading, consultant advanced practitioner. And these leads uh, will be trained to deliver advanced practice clinical supervision in the training hubs. The, the forum itself provides peer support and it also helps to direct towards educational opportunities that are within the training hubs. And importantly, they provide a link between all the different clinical settings so that it's not just about primary care because advanced in practice um, is about being multi-professional across all sectors. So within the training hubs, there's going to be a credentialed advanced practice cl clinical supervisors course set up. So they can then confidently um, mentor a clinician through the advanced practice portfolio route. The first people that are going to be on these courses are going to be initially GPs in primary care and then multi-professional advanced practitioners will be able to go onto these courses to learn how to be an advanced practice supervisor to support the system. There is money being thrown at this from Health Education England um, up to the training hubs and the it's very much an evolving process at the moment but it is quite near to completion. So Alongside this, you've also got the primary care, health education in the primary care schools. These link to the Centre of Advance in Practice at Health Education England. And what will happen is that once these uh, clinical supervisors are signed off with their credentials uh, for the advanced practice portfolio route, the Centre of Advance in Practice will hold the credentialed list of supervisors on a directory so that anybody will be able to know where to access them from. So going back to that remote thing, the remote question before, not only can the supervision be done remotely, but importantly, we'll know who the supervisors are that have been credentialed to be able to help people through that process. And I assume that process is going to be re-evaluated um, as, it, as it goes on. And, uh, yes. To learn from that. It, it leads into one of the questions I was going to leave, uh, mention, but you've, you've you've um, touched on it there is to share your thoughts on the the competence in, in relationship to that that pillar the leadership pillar yeah so uh, this does come up quite regularly I, I completed a piece of work at the university of winchester for health education england uh, wessex region that uh, assessed um an, uh, a range of advanced practitioners across uh, uh, multi-professions and asked them to map themselves where they felt they were working at level seven across the four pillars. Now, the, 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 the near, near all, obviously, map themselves uh, clinically uh, competent at level seven, um, uh, where they felt they were, were there was uh, there was a challenge was around uh, research education. Now, leadership was was lower, but um, individuals that were leading services felt able to justify that but struggled to provide evidence against it so i think this is comes down to again good mentoring and where the road again what we'll try to do with the roadmap is give um uh, users 
examples of where leadership is applied within a day-to-day -day role. And it doesn't have to be a classical, <laughs> I lead a service, therefore I'm the leader and I develop, I uh, provide level seven leadership. Um, this is about um, uh, different areas of practice. Um, and it, 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 it's, it's a part of their, their general job profile. And of course, it, you might find that you're working towards those levels and building up to that experience and it's taking opportunities. And I think many clinicians um, that I've spoken to that, that find this an area of challenge is because those opportunities um, aren't made I, either made available to them or they're not aware they could be available. So if you're working in an NHS trust and you want to develop some of your leadership opportunities, it's about speaking to the right people. It's about having the right um, contacts with your leadership team and taking some of those opportunities that as a clinician, you may not have felt actually that applies to me. And that's something that well, that's not directly linking to patient care, therefore I'm not going to serve it time. But now we've got these four pillars, we need to, to shift the focus into pr not just producing high level clinicians, but high level health professionals. And therefore you have to make that opportunity clear within your organizations that you are looking to develop your leadership qualities, your leadership styles, your leadership knowledge. And that can happen through a, a multitude of, of opportunities and experiences. Um, and so that's just about actually setting some ideas around some templates and getting individuals to have conversations with a range of different people in, a, in an organization that you may not have had contact with before. There are numerous resources um, out there. Uh, I know the CSP have, have developed, um, as an example, uh, leadership courses. And it's about actually finding out where those opportunities are and how you can access them. We're also uh, leading on to that. We'll, we'll put some on the, sh on the show notes, direct people onto some of those resources as well. Um, if we rewind it back, we talked a little bit about even working at the undergraduate, what that, how that um, looks and, and for the band fives and the, the mentorship coming up. Amanda, can, can I ask you, where, where, does this, um, where does this leave exist in advanced practice physios and FCPs now? Okay, so um, what, what's happened is, as I said before, we're now aligning with the four nations and with the four nations, advanced in practice means if you're an advanced practitioner, it means that you are signed off clinical capability uh, sorry signs off your capability level seven across all four pillars where in this country if you're an advanced practitioner that is not necessarily the case so we know that you're working at clinical level seven at masters and most people have masters modules um clinically at there but you're not signed off against all four pillars what it means is um that there will be a requirement for all advanced practitioners to go and be signed off against all four pillars so that they can maintain the advanced status or of, of advanced practice. It might sound scary and arduous, but it's actually not, because to be honest, if you're working in those roles, it's probably like we've just talked about now, maybe the leadership pillar that needs to be topped up a little bit. But I would just see it as a fantastic CPD opportunity. And um, you will be able to be supported through this um, uh, with health education England's uh, investment in supervisors and offer um, around advanced practice courses. 
Um, as for FCPs, that the same rings true. The existing FCPs will be required to go through the clinical workplace sign-off as CPD. Nobody's going to lose their jobs. That is not what it's about at all. It's just an opportunity to come up to the benchmark that's now been set as a national standard that didn't exist before. Yeah, and if I can fact, you mentioned there that it, it may sound scary to you invest in that time and that work, but um, equally, I'd say if, even more scary if, if you're sitting in those roles and you're not reaching that benchmark. That's that's um, that's even more scary of a thought. So that, uh, that yeah, that's yeah. absolutely. And and what you know, the message is really is to be honest. It really. Is it shouldn't be if you're working in those roles, it shouldn't be that difficult to be able to sign off against all four pillars with um, not too much. Obviously, some people just whiz through it in five minutes, but maybe it might take some people just a little bit longer to do it. But it's a it is a really good opportunity to raise the quality of physiotherapy and MSK across the board nationally. Yeah, I'm reassuring for those clinicians that are doing that work that the, the, the process they're going through is 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 the benchmark so, so we know that you know we're giving the patients the best care that we can absolutely yeah I, I i just wanted to echo that i think for for the people that we need to assure the practice firstly most importantly the patients and the public they want you know that assurance is is absolutely paramount i think as a clinician i think you're absolutely right dan it's a really good point that you should welcome that opportunity to be credentialed against the benchmark level it's a security measure. Um, it's an it's an absolutely vital governance arrangement that you are, you'd want to sit right in the middle of, and therefore and they're also assuring assurances and in us in our in our partners, our GP partners, our PCN partners, our secondary care partners, um, our community colleagues. We all want to be, and we all we absolutely should be striving to be. Um, at a benchmarked, nationally regarded, accepted across multi-professions level. It hasn't happened um, in advanced practice or extended role, whatever clinical specialism, it hasn't happened at all. Um, and so this is the opportunity and we therefore must set the benchmark thickly and at the right level for all. There can't be any exceptions to this or the process therefore fails. Yeah. Absolutely. That um, I think that makes makes it clear, perfect sense, um, and a really positive step for the profession as well. It's uh, and having these having these uh, frameworks in place. Um, yeah. Uh, before we wrap up, I, uh, on social media, a few questions came through that um, people uh, wanted to pose to you. Is it possible to bring bring one of those in now? Mm. Um, one was from Adele Hill. Um, she reflected with in the current climate, the conversation happening. She said, "What is being done to address diversity in the uh, ACP community, and how can we empower more Black, Asian, and minority ethnic physios and colleagues into these roles?" Okay, so it's very well recognised that um, there's a lack of diversity in the allied health professions. And both the national bodies and professional bodies are working really hard to try and rectify this problem. I think it's positive that poor representation is being acknowledged and, and the need for change is being driven um, so we can better represent the, the patients that, that we're, we're here to um, support. I wonder if 
in future it would be uh, it'd be an advantage to link up with the the CSP and MACP diversity officers and see if they have um, further input to, to 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 empower more Black Asian and minority ethnic physios um, into into these ACP roles. You know, I look forward to uh, watching that space. Um, Absolutely. It, just to just to wrap up, is there anything to you guys? It, I, I would, I would uh, while while you're on the the mic at the moment, say because this is moving quite fast. Uh, the the advanced clinical practice sort of um, uh, plans. It, it might be worth us touching base again a little bit further down the lines, and people can get in touch with myself or, or via the MCP on on social media, and we could just. I'm sure it'll um, throw up some more questions. We revisit it at a later date, if that's okay with both of you. Yeah, I think that would be that would be good. The you know, uh, the obviously the MACP um, we're working hard on on the portfolio route, and we'll have more to offer in terms of how that looks um, and the MSK partnership and how the other groups and professions uh, are engaging and what their plans are. Uh, we'd be able to to, to certainly uh, share that as well. So um, I, I think um, a, a short term review in a, in a few you know in a later date would be really really welcome. Perfect. Yeah, and I would echo that too, because like I said, um, when we we're talking about supervision, it's very much an evolving picture. So hopefully in a few weeks time, we'll have a really firm idea of exactly what that looks like for clinicians in terms of support in primary care too. And where are we at on timeframes of those? So the, the um, portfolio route and the, the, um, with the open and in, in recent inclusivity of the MACP, I know that there's... The, the affiliate membership is now available and those sort of things are happening. Where What's the time frame and what are you saying there, Neil, with regard to um, uh, the support from the MACP and their involvement in this? So um, we have moved uh, along a, a huge amount in a short space of time. Uh, there was already a, a very, very uh, well put together commission proposal regarding an accelerated route to MACP membership. Uh, the portfolio route is going um, to standard portfolio route is going to is has is going through a re review, and will be linked um, directly um, to obviously the um, the advanced practice um, process. Um, we're looking at the governance around that and the support that individuals can have um, linking um, their CPD to a portfolio route to MACP and how that translates to advanced practice and also its links to first contact. So what we want um, is in individuals to, to look at learning partners such as the MACP and be able to um, partner up with them to develop their CPD towards, um, whether it's FCP, MACP or advanced practice, ideally all three. Um, and we'd like to see that certainly over uh, a, a, a really reasonable, robust proposal um, by the autumn. Excellent. Not too, not too distant future. Looking, no. looking forward to it. About that might tee up a, a, a revisit to this uh, podcast and, and reflect on things that have happened between now and then as well. Great. Yeah, uh, well, we got some collect some questions from what we've talked to about. If we do, if we do another podcast, it would be really helpful if people, if they have any queries or questions or want clarification from what we've talked about today, it'd be really helpful if people were, were to bring in those questions to the next one too. Excellent. We'll make that available for people to leave comments um, through the usual social media channels. Um, 
Perfect. I'd just like to thank you both for your, for your time today. I uh, much appreciate it. I know how busy you both are. Um, and look forward to touching base with you again, perhaps in the autumn. Thanks, Dan. Great, thank you.